Hey, it's you, man, from KC95 here. Good evening, and welcome to Toasted Tavern. Your host, Scott Tobin, and the man called Wags are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. Good evening. Welcome into the Toasted Tavern. I am Wags with you here tonight on a day that is not great when it comes to sports, especially sports here in the St. Louis area, because after multiple negotiations over the last couple of days, Major League Baseball and the Players Union, they failed to agree on a new collective bargaining agreement. And we are now going to miss at least the first two series of Major League Baseball this year. No spring training, obviously, right now. And now the cancellation of the first two series of the regular season, including opening day. Uh, this was a, a thing that we, we, I think we all saw coming. Uh, but with the way that the negotiations have been going on the last couple of days, we were hoping that it would be a different option, uh, that you know these two sides would be able to come to an agreement and get this thing going but unfortunately today Rob Manfred commissioner of Major League Baseball announced that the lockout was successful for the owners in a sense because they uh, you know they're still trying to get what they want but uh, they're going to lose some games as well and we'll talk a little bit about that as we get into today's uh, show we do have uh, 101 ESPN's Alex Ferrario joining us here in just a little bit to talk about the St. Louis Blues because because of the negativity of Major League Baseball, we still have some positivity to talk about as well, and that's the St. Louis Blues, a team that is on a win streak right now, heading to New York to face the three New York teams, the Rangers, Islanders, and Devils, over the next couple of days. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that with him as well as the upcoming trade deadline and really where we see this team at right now because it's a team that's sitting in second place in the Western Conference coming into uh, tonight's action, and yet we still sit there and think, this team hasn't really put it all together just yet. So we'll talk a little bit about where we see this team and what moves could be made at the deadline to maybe push this team to the next level and maybe make a run at Colorado up at the top of the Western Conference. But once again, that the top story today is the cancellation of the first two series in Major League Baseball. 27 years it's been since we've had any cancellation of games due to labor disagreements. Now, we had, obviously, the pandemic issue uh, a couple of seasons ago where we had the shortened season, 60 games, but that was mainly due to what was going on in the world at the time. Uh, but this is the first time in 27 years that games have been canceled due to labor disagreements. And it, it's it's a dark day for, for sports and for Major League Baseball because this is a, a sports that is widely loved across the country. It's being played in minor league stadiums, independent league stadiums, college baseball, high school baseball, all of that's going on. And there's a lot of love that goes into it. And yet the, the game as a whole is going to suffer because of what's going on in major league baseball, because the, the highest caliber players, the highest level, uh, they're not going to be out there for who knows how long. And, you know, it, it's going to be great for these lower uh leagues and stuff like that because people are going to want to still want to watch baseball so they can go watch the minor leagues they can go watch the independent leagues and i urge you to go out there and watch the minors and the independents and the colleges and the baseball and the high school baseball because that's the future and they deserve our attention our gratitude and they, they deserve to be watched 
and and cheered on because it's baseball and we need to see it. And it's going to suck that you're not going to be able to go down to Bush Stadium and and see the Cardinals playing, at least not right now. Obviously, just the first two series have been canceled. So the Cardinals home opener in the beginning of April is still on the books to happen. And that's when the Cardinals would actually start their season if they come to an agreement at some point, which right now it's it's hard to say that it's going to happen because no negotiations have really been scheduled past what has already happened in Florida right now. Now there's talks that you know they're going to resume this stuff up in New York and, and maybe come to some agreement here very, very soon. But it's really a, a bad spot that Major League Baseball has been put in. And you, you look at Rob Manfred and and you sit there and you go, Dude, what, what are you doing to this game? You know, if you watch the press conference today, he was seen laughing. Uh, you know, earlier he was practicing his golf swing. We saw all this stuff that that makes you go, why is this guy in charge of baseball? You know, he, he is he is an owner's commissioner. I mean, he's hired by the owners, so that he is looking out for the best interest of the owners. And we're seeing it. I mean, obviously the 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 money is is what it comes down to, and, and you'll have to excuse me. I'm dealing with some allergies today, so uh, you have to bear with me as I fight through that as well. Uh, but you got you got to talk about this stuff. That, that's the thing. Um, money is is the central issue. You know, both sides were working to narrow down you know their demands. The players coming from one side, obviously, and the owners from the other on things like the luxury tax threshold. Uh, bonus pool money, salary arbitration, things of that nature, and they just couldn't do it. And you have to look at at the at the ownership side of things and go, you know, why were you not negotiating sooner? I mean, you understand it. We talked about this a little bit last week with Danny Wexelman in a sense that you know the owners, this is what they were wanting the entire time. They were wanting to delay it as long as they possibly could to put the players in a position to where they would have to acquiesce to their demands because they couldn't afford to not play games. You know, the players are not going to be paid for these missed games. They're not going to be making up this revenue. This is something that's going to hurt the players more than it does the owners. I mean, we, we were talking a little bit about how much money these teams make, and, and they're not making a crap ton of money. You know, they're not rolling in, in millions and billions of dollars when it comes to actual revenue. Uh, we took a look at the Braves uh, the last couple of years. And, you know, last season, I think they ended up at somewhere in the range of about $6 million in profit, which you look at and you go, $6 million. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty good for, for you know, a profit margin. But it's still not a ton of money. But these owners have their hands in so many different things. You look at the Cardinals and the fact that they have their interests in, you know, uh, Ballpark Village and all of that, that, you know, they're bringing in other streams of revenue. And, and baseball teams, any sports team, it's not a revenue generator. It's more of a legacy builder is what it comes down to because these things do get passed on from generation to generation. So it's not about making money, but it's about building that community trust and and just building that generational love of the team and, and the game itself. And that's what's gonna. That's what's gonna suffer in this. But it does allow the owners to kind of slow play their hands and say, "Look, you know, we'll we'll start to kind of bend a little bit, but we can stand to lose the money as much as they cry poor. They can stand to lose it. The players, they've been building a war chest for the last five years. 
to kind of combat this and say, look, we're, we can take this a little bit longer than, than you guys think we can. But still, I mean, they're going to be making $15,000 a day, which, you know, for a guy like Max Scherzer, who's going to lose 220000 plus per day of games missed, I mean, it's it's only 15000 which is still, it's a lot of money, but not, you know, the contracts that they have been getting. So um, it's going to be real interesting to see how deep these players dig their heels into the sand and with the amount of losses that they've taken in the last couple of negotiations, you almost have to look at it and go, can the players make it a whole year? Can they sit there and say, look, we're, we're going to sacrifice. And, and you're going to have to remember, a lot of these guys are going to sacrifice at a complete year of free agency because of games not being played. Could they sit there and say, look, we're going to just take this to the absolute brink. We're going to go scorched earth, and we're going to say we are not playing until we get our demands. We've lost so much over the last couple of negotiations that we cannot afford to lose again. Are they going to be able to do that? And and I, for one, I'm not going to sit there and say that I, I can deal without having Major League Baseball this year. I've watched less baseball the last couple of years than I'm proud to even say I, I did. I don't like not watching baseball, but I haven't watched as much the last couple of years. And I almost feel like I can sit there and say that I would go a whole nother year of not watching baseball if it meant the players got a little bit more of an agreeable agreement in a sense. And, and you're going to get the argument that people are going to say it's millionaires versus billionaires and all that stuff. Yes, I get it. And I've said this many, many a times. I think we put way too much on athletics as a whole. This is a sports show. I'm a huge sports fan. I want to be a broadcaster. All of that stuff. But we do have our priorities a little bit mixed up in a sense that we're paying all this money to you know athletes who do a damn good job in what they do. I mean, the, the work ethic, everything that they do, the hard work that they put in to, to boost their natural abilities and everything in that in that kind of thing it's still a lot of money that's going into that that could probably be better served in other in other avenues teachers first responders everything that that you know, kind of makes the world run but you have to kind of set that aside and go this is really a, an argument about labor versus owners and if a laborer is not getting their due process and getting what they deserve, that's what you have to look at. And I think that's where Major League Baseball and the, and the Players Union are, are kind of divided at. It's like the owners are big-time owners. You know, they are trying to maximize their profits as much as possible. They don't care about the humanity piece of this. This is all about the almighty dollar. And that's what they are pushing is, look, we, we will bend a little bit we'll move around but you know we want to make money we're not we're not in the business of just giving our money away and you look at at the way that this has kind of gone about and the one thing that kind of gets lost in all this and you know this is something that i found on espn today in a sense about you know it's not that the owners are willing to push out more money And, and this is in an article uh on espn Came out around four o'clock today. Uh, Adrian Gonzalez, Alden Gonzalez, and Jeff Passan kind of tackled this in a sense. And you know the owners 
have expressed a willingness to reallocate money, but not increase it. And I think that's one thing that kind of gets lost in this is that they don't want the pie to change. Or they don't want the pie to get any larger. They, they just want to change it. So that's, you know, lowering the salary cap floor that they have, you know, the threshold that they are asking teams to kind of put money into. Um, you know, they, they can sit there and say, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll raise the CBT a little bit uh, the, 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 and, and say, OK, you can spend a little bit more money on players. But you also don't have to spend as much to make a competitive team in a sense. So you're taking money from the bottom end of things and really and pushing it towards the top, which the players look at and go, OK, you're, you're giving us more money at the top end, but teams don't have to spend as much to stay above the the penalty phase, essentially. So it's not that you're adding more money into the system. You're just moving the money around, and it's not really helping us in a sense because, yeah, your top-end players are going to get a lot of money, but the lower-end guys are not. And, and you've seen what baseball's done. 42 minor league uh, organizations that were cut the last couple of years. Um, you, you've seen how minor league baseball players are treated as well. I mean, there, there's no connection to the to the franchises or anything like that, although that is starting to slowly change. Franchises are starting to invest in the, in the players. And, you know, minor league players are not a part of the players' union. So that's why we're going to get minor league baseball right now. And that's one thing that's why I implore you guys to watch it is, yeah, you're not going to see the guys that are on the 40-man roster that are still in the minors but you're still going to see some really good talent and guys that could eventually, if this all gets worked out down the road, could be big parts of, you know, major league baseball organizations. So it, it's just, there's a lot of stuff that that's going around here and it doesn't look good. And, and it begs the question. And I know once again, Manfred is hired by the owners. So it's not like the owners are going to sit there and run him out of town but at what point do they start to question him being in that position? You know, if the players do force an entire year to be lost in this, is there an opportunity for the owners to sit there and go, man, we lost in this? Even if they get something worked out, they could have lost, they, they could lose in this instance. And, and does that threaten Rob Manfred's position? Because, you know, fans are not enamored with, with Rob Manfred at all. Everything that he's been trying to do to change the game, to, to make it more marketable to younger you know, viewers, has not gone over well with anybody, really. Um, now you're going to have this labor disagreement and the potential of more lost games, which right now it's just you know between six and seven games that are being lost. And you know owners can handle that, but the players can't. You know If this stretches into half a season or even, God forbid, a full season, do the owners sit there and go, man, we overplayed our hand and, and Manfred has to go. I mean, the players don't want him as the commissioner. And it, it's going to beg the question of you know, what is going to happen to the structure of Major League Baseball after all is said and done. Um, you know, there, there was somebody was out there on Twitter saying, you know, why don't the players just band together, create their own, you know, league and, and show them how it's really done. Well, that's all well and good in theory, but where are they going to play? You know, it's not like the owners of, of the Cardinals or the Cubs or, or the Red Sox are going to sit there and say, oh, you know what? We didn't, we couldn't agree to anything. The players are going to form their own league. We'll let them use the stadium. No, that's, that's not going to work. That's not going to happen. 
Um, so it's kind of like, where do you go from here? I, I don't even really know. And that's the sad thing is, is I've been so disconnected from baseball as a whole the last couple of years because of everything that's been going on. I just don't know what you can do to save this game. And it, it's really hard to say because we have a great organization here in St. Louis. It's a storied franchise. The players have been nothing short of spectacular. And yet I don't necessarily care too much about what's going on in Major League Baseball. And, that, and that's a really, really sad thing because I love baseball growing up. The Cardinals, when the Blues weren't doing so well, the Cardinals were doing well. And you, know, you brought in Mark McGuire after the strike of 94. He had the home run chase, and then you got Albert Pujols, and now Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. I mean, there's so many good things about baseball that, seeing as how we might lose it, it hurts. But after everything that's gone on the last couple of years, I can't necessarily sit there and say that I'm you know, crying over it. And and that's that's a sad thing. The thing that's that's going to hurt the most is that you know we were coming into the season thinking. Okay, this is going to be Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina's last hurrah. You've got Nolan Arenado in his prime. You've got Paul Goldschmidt, who's still killing it right now. You've got young stars in Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill coming up in the system. Dylan Carlson is going to get another full year at the major league level. Uh, you know, you've got Alex Reyes that might be joining the rotation. You've got a strong bullpen. I mean, you've got so many pieces that were there. And, and now we might not even get to see it. And, and that's not even counting the fact that if the Universal DH is a part of this, which it seems like it will be when all is said and done, you theoretically could have had Albert Pujols coming back in here to finish out his career in St. Louis. And what a ride that would have been to see Albert, Yachty, and, and Wayno final year going for a championship. And, and now you're not going to see that at all. And that's, and that's the really, really sad thing is – you know, we're, we're losing out on something that could be absolutely special uh, when it comes to St. Louis baseball, in a sense. But you're losing a lot of specialness in the whole country as a whole when it comes to Major League Baseball potentially being lost as well. And uh, I, I didn't want to I didn't want to talk negative stuff tonight uh, because, you know, the Blues, like we said, have been absolutely streaking. Uh, but I'm going to bring Alex Ferrario in here from 101 ESPN and. Alex, first off, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's it's always a great time to talk to you. And unfortunately, we had to talk a little negativity. But first, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I uh, hopefully um, people are surviving this baseball news because it uh, it sucks massively here in St. Louis. It sucks massively in terms of baseball fans. But the way I've always looked at it is, we still have hockey playoffs, and that's exciting. That is, that it is. And yes, the news that the lockout is, is essentially worked in the owner's favor is, is not good. Losing the first two series is going gonna, is gonna to suck. It really is. But like you said, we have Blues hockey. We have playoffs uh, around the corner, essentially. We have a trade deadline to look forward to as well. Um, we're going to leave the negativity off to the side. We're going to talk positive about things going on right now. And we have to talk about the fact that the Blues are absolutely streaking right now. They had an amazing February, one that because of the Olympics and everything wasn't actually supposed to happen, but they ended up having a great February and they put themselves in, you know, high contention in the Western conference. Yeah. I mean, they absolutely did. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good what they put together this, this month because with the extended time off and then 
you know, when you got back into play and you had that game against the New Jersey Devils, which looked like it was just a dud. And a lot of people were wondering what this Blues team was. But from the moment they lost that New Jersey Devils game, I mean, they've been on a point streak that's now kept at seven games. And, I mean, they put themselves back into second place in the Central Division. And, uh, you know, in a lot of people's minds, mine included, I think they're the second best team in the Western Conference. I would say them and Calgary are racing for second best, but I would give the advantage to the Blues. And the way I look at it as, look, you were eight seconds away from having a seven-game win streak, which would be pretty impressive right now, but they still lost that game, and you still picked up a point, and that's where we're at right now. So it was a really good February. It was. Now, you talk about how good it was. The teams that they faced, they weren't great. They did take care of business. You know, a 434 winning percentage for the teams that they faced in February. It's going to get a lot tougher in March. So you see that and you go, okay, they, they did what they had to do. But are there any question marks about the fact that, you know, they are going to be playing tougher competition in March? Are they going to be able to rise up to that level? Because this team does seem to, to sometimes play down the competition, but they also rise up to that competition as well. Are we seeing that maybe we could have some issues going into March? I don't think so. Um, and obviously, the, you know, the, the games are going to tell themselves. But if there's one thing we know about this Blues team, it's that this season when they played – good opponents when they played playoff caliber opponents they seem to always play really well against them I mean the Toronto Maple Leafs both time they played Toronto even the one that they lost that was still a game that the Blues were leading going into the third period you know the game against the Pittsburgh Penguins was a game that they were within a goal in the third period and they let slip away so I think you'll get a really good sign of what this team looks like once they take on the New York Rangers on Wednesday night because that's going to be a really difficult opponent but you know, for the people that say, oh, they're beating up on these bad teams, I say, well, hey, you got to do what you got to do. You got to do the job that's placed in front of you, and that's your schedule. And the Blues have accomplished what they've needed to do. They picked up wins. They picked up points against the bad teams. But you're going to be taking on these closer teams. I always prefer the Blues playing better opponents once you get closer to the end of the regular season into the postseason because what would stink is if, you get the momentum in March and April at the beginning of April and you're playing all of these good teams and then you get a slew of bad games against bad opponents and the the momentum shifts a little bit. So um, I think they can rise up to the occasion. I think they've proven that they can beat better opponents this season and it's going to be an interesting final stretch of the run when they do take on the, the Rangers and the Avalanches and the Minnesota Wilds and the Nashville Predators. Yeah, we've got two games against the Rangers coming up over the last over the next week. You've got Nashville, you've got the Penguins again, uh, you've got Washington. The big one for me, the one I'm circling, and, and this is because I picked them to win the Stanley Cup this year. I don't know why, but I did. Carolina on the 26th. That is going to be an absolutely fun, fun game, and, and I hope is a potential Stanley Cup preview because Carolina is a very, very young and dangerous team. I really like Frederick Anderson down there. I think he kind of got the wrong end of the stick in, in Toronto, but which goalie in Toronto doesn't? Uh, is that kind of one of those games that you're circling on the calendar going, that could be a preview of something special? I think so. I think when they played Carolina earlier this season, you looked at it and you said, boy, this could be what you could see in a playoff series. And remember that game, and that was a one-goal game for the Blues. It was just Nadelkovich who um, – or not Nadelkovich. He was in Detroit. But that was a game that Frederick Anderson stole, and the Blues just weren't able to capitalize late in the third period. So, you know, I think that's a really good preview of what it would look like. You know, the two games that the Blues played against the Florida Panthers, I think if people would go back and look at those two, also, they lived up to the potential. They lost the one game, 
in a shootout, if I'm not mistaken. And then, of course, they won the second game in overtime in St. Louis. Tampa Bay, the same thing, beat them in overtime and then lost in regulation. So I think once you see the Carolina Hurricanes, you know, the Hurricanes are going to be an interesting one. The Colorado, the final two games of the regular season, I think, is going to be an absolute tell of what the destiny is for the Blues in the postseason because you take on Colorado, you've already played them twice this season, you beat them once, you lost to them once, and both times that they played against each other, neither team was at full strength. And the same could be said about the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, I think they play Vegas only one more time, the final game of the regular season, but both times the Blues and Golden Knights played against each other. They weren't at even strength. So, so really from now until the end of the season, every time the Blues play an opponent that has an above 500 record, I think you sit there and you look at it and say, okay, well, this is their test against a team that they might see in the playoffs. And again, they've done so well against them in the first half. The second half at full strength is going to be even more intriguing. Yeah, that game against Vegas, the 29th, last game of the season. It is a home game as well, so fans will be excited to see that one. Petro coming back to town again should be a lot of fun. You talk about this team having you know, to deal with the injuries that they've dealt with this year. Uh, one has to look no further than, than what David Perron has had to go through uh, this year. He's been amazingly huge the last couple of years for the Blues. One of the best players that this team has had. One that's really kind of brought this team up when they needed it. He struggled a little bit this year. And are we seeing possibly some of the effects of the injuries that he suffered this year? And he's finally just now starting to kind of get going? Absolutely. I think, you know, look, David Perron's had a, a long career and he's had concussions in the past. And I mean... I mean, this is no stranger to seeing the impact of concussions and what they do to players in the National Hockey League. I mean, he played with Sidney Crosby, who's had to deal with this. He was teammates with Paul Correa, who went through this in St. Louis, had his career ended. So, you know, it's a scary thing. And for David Perron in the middle of the season, when you have that hit that results in him having a concussion and for the out the amount of time that he was, it's not an easy thing to just jump back in and, and play back to the level that you were at because... You know, unlike an ACL tear, unlike uh, an ankle surgery, you, you know, you're always favoring those. But when it's a head injury, I mean, something can happen at any time, you know. So I think it was something that David Perron was just kind of feeling things out when he got back into the lineup. And then let's also remember the chemistry issues for all of these players. Anytime that you've taken out of the lineup, whether it's been injury or for COVID purposes, I mean, guys have had to been shuffled in and out of lineups and line chemistry. So I think it's taken a little bit of time for him to get back to his game. Um, you know, I think a sign when David Perron is playing well is when he brings his physical presence to the ice. And if you go back and look all the way back to that Philadelphia Flyers game, he's brought physicality every single night. And no stranger, no coincidence that he's also finding the back of the net or picking up points. So um, I think David Perron is going to be back to himself towards the end of this season. And I would imagine he's probably foaming at the mouth to get into the playoffs for what happened to him last year with going on the COVID list and not being able to play in any of those games against Colorado. Yeah, he, he is ready to go for it for sure. And he, the, the fact that the Blues have had guys that have been able to step up, though, and you talk about the line combinations being shuffled and the fact that you're having to try and find that chemistry with different guys on different nights. The fact that this team has so many players in double figures, 15 guys with double-digit points. You've got four guys over 40 points. You've got 9, 10, 11 guys with double-digit goals. This is a level of scoring and output that we haven't seen from this Blues organization in a really, really long time. We've had top-end scoring, 
But the amount of spread out scoring that we've had and high level scoring as well is something we haven't seen in a long time here in St. Louis. It's something that I can honestly say, and I mean, I've been a hockey fan since the early 90s. Um, I mean, it's something that I can say I don't think I've ever seen a, an offense this good. Um, I had this on post game the other night. The Blues have eight double digit goal scores this season, which is second best in the Western Conference behind Colorado and third best in the National Hockey League behind Colorado and Florida. But when it comes to players with 25 or more points, the Blues have 11 of them, which would be best in the West and best in the National Hockey League. So for people that say, oh, well, the Blues aren't in the same category as Florida or Colorado, I beg to differ when you look at the depth of this team. The Blues have something that I personally don't think anybody has other than the Florida Panthers in terms of a deep forward roster to where four lines that can make you pay at any point of the ice. Florida has that as well, especially if they can get healthy with, you know, guys like Noel Achari, who's playing on their fourth line, and Lundestrom, who's playing on their fourth line. Um, it's something that I don't think the Blues are something that Colorado I don't think has. I think Colorado's got two really good lines, and then it drops off. I think Vegas has two really good lines, and then it drops off. Calgary, three really good lines, but the fourth line, I just don't know if it would compete with what the Blues have. So if there's an advantage for this team going into the postseason, it's the fact that any line at any time of any game can make you pay. And look no further than that Toronto Maple Leafs win that the Blues had. The Blues exploited line matchups. They had Robert Thomas play against the Mitch Marner line. They shut them down. They had Braden Shen play against the John Tavares line, shut them down. And in the third period, Toronto didn't have an answer for Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, and Brandon Saad. They came away with two goals, including the game winner. So I think that's what you're going to see come late in the season, postseason time, is the Blues exploiting those matchups and finding a way to beat the opposition because I don't know if the depth can match up with them. And, and that's exactly how we saw in 2019 as well. I mean, this, this team had four lines that could hurt you. It wasn't the high level that they have right now, but they all they took the situations and they were able to win those matchups when they had it in, in the, the Stanley Cup run for sure. And you have to look again at what Doug Armstrong has been able to do. I mean, this guy continuously makes moves that you go, how did he pull this off? And the latest, obviously, was Pavel Buchnevich uh, in the uh, offseason. He comes in for Sammy Blay, who unfortunately got injured early on in the season, has been able to play. But Booch is sitting there with 19 goals, 27 assists, 46 points, tied for second on this team. And he's, in some points, playing on the third line. It, it just blows your mind at what this team's been able to do and what Darth Armstrong has been able to do. And now you get to see Buchnevich go back to play against the Rangers uh, tomorrow night. Should be a lot of fun for him. But you got to talk a little bit about what Doug Armstrong's been able to do. I joke all the time, and I've joked with Doug Armstrong saying this, that, I mean, he's to the point now where he's starting to get, like, marked off on other general managers' lists of, like, all right, we're not calling this guy or answering this guy's telephone because he just finds a way. And, look, you know, the Ryan O'Reilly trade, everyone will talk about his highway robbery. But, I mean, Tage Thompson's actually starting to play really well for them. And uh, Ryan Murphy, I believe, or Ryan Murray, the first-round draft pick that they also got, he could turn into something. So, as much as we say it was highway robbery because the Blues were able to get rid of Patrick Berglund and Vladimir Sobotka's contracts, it was a it was a trade that Buffalo looks at as, okay, well, we got a future piece in it. You know, the Braden Shen one, it was a really good trade. You got rid of Yuri Laterra. But also remember that uh, Philadelphia acquired the first-round draft picks that got Joel Farabee and Morgan Frost, two players that are really good for Philadelphia. So 
good trade, great trade for Doug Armstrong, but they had to give up something. I don't know if you can comp what Doug Armstrong did to the um, to the New York Rangers with what they acquired in Pavel Buchnevich. Now, the Rangers weren't going to be able to keep him. I mean, they were already tight with salary caps, and, and Pavel Buchnevich was a restricted free agent, and so I, I think the writing was on the wall in terms of him being traded, but you acquired him for Sammy Blay in a second-round draft pick. And Sammy Blay, who's hurt this year, he might be impactful for New York because New York needs those physical players that can – cause problems for the opposition but he was never going to be what Pavel Buchnevich has become for the Blues and then the second round draft pick I mean yeah Jordan Kyber's a second round draft pick sometimes they pay off sometimes they also don't pay off like a Ty Ratty in the past so it was something that Doug Armstrong I mean he just continues to do his uh, magician work around the National Hockey League and pull off trades like this and uh, I, I would I would tell people to keep an eye on Pavel Buchnevich because I think what Pavel Buchnevich is going to do is provide this team a lot of what Jaden Schwartz provided for this team when they won the Stanley Cup. And in fact, I think he's been better than what Jaden Schwartz has been over the last couple of seasons in terms of his penalty kill, his power play, and then his five on five plays. Yeah, I mean, and he's obviously scored a little bit more than, than what we we're used to with Jaden Schwartz. Jaden Schwartz was a glue guy. So was Alex Steen. We saw that as well. And, and, you know, Steen begat Swartz. And now it seems like Tyler Bozak's taken on that role of an Alex Steen. And he's gotten in and out of the, of the lineup a couple of different times throughout this season. But t- just talk a little bit about what it means to have a guy like that that can come in and, oh, guess what? Another former Toronto Maple Leaf who is succeeding in St. Louis. But uh, Tyler Bozak has really taken on that kind of Alex Steen role. And that's something that you need going down the stretch and into the playoffs. A veteran that can check in at any point in the lineup any game that you need him to and make an impact and still be able to be a good presence in that locker room. Yeah. You need experience. And I mean, that's what, you know, now the blues have a lot of it, you know, with guys who are on this roster that won the Stanley cup. But uh, I think one area that the blues are still trying to find is an identity for that fourth line. And I, I love Clint Costin's game as of late, although there is some still raw talent there that will make mistakes. I love Dakota Joshua, but I just don't know how much you can rely on him late in a game when you're down or tied or up by a goal. But there's two guys right now that you can do that with, and it's Tyler Bozak and Oscar Sundquist. And Tyler Bozak spoke in the past um, of how difficult this season has been in terms of you know being a healthy scratch for some time for the Blues and also you know playing a lesser role than what he's used to, to where he's used to 16, 17, 18 minutes a night. And now he's only been getting 10, 11, 12 minutes a night. So I think he's going to have his moment down the stretch for this Blues team. But I think the the more impactful role of Tyler Bozak is bringing along guys like Clint Costin and Dakota Joshua, guys like Logan Brown, who get into the lineup and, and have that veteran presence who's been around the block and knows what he's doing. And Tyler Bozak has always accepted whatever role has been given him here in St. Louis. He's a consummate pro, but I think he's also accepting this role now. And, you know, don't forget, he did this in Toronto when he was there and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner came into the National Hockey League, younger players. Tyler Bozak was the grizzled vet there. So I think he's going to have that impact this season. It's just a matter of who he's going to be having the impact with on the fourth line. And it's going to be interesting to see how Craig Ruby juggles those lines. He's done a masterful job over the years here in St. Louis. That's why he's got the contract extension now. He's just pushed all the right buttons with, with the Blues. And we talked about Doug Armstrong being able to do that as well. You've got the trade deadline coming up here in in, in the middle end of March. The defense is kind of the, the area that most people are targeting for this Blues team. I don't know how much you can mess with it. They are up against the cap, as we know. 
you know, what kind of moves could a Doug Armstrong make in this instance? Is there a guy that you look at and you go, okay, that's who we should look at bringing in if it can fit? And, you know, Ben Sherratt's been thrown out there. Obviously, Jacob Chitrin has been out there. Both guys, I'm not entirely confident, could be here in St. Louis. But who are you looking at as potential uh, movers on, on trade deadline day? Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that Doug Armstrong knows that the weakness on this team is the left side with Colton Pareko. Now, I say weakness with a little bit of a uh, little bit, a little grain of salt here because Nico Mikola has played really well, and I think Nico Mikola is going to be the pairing partner for Colton Pareko in the future. But I think with the forward group that you have, and with a goaltending tandem like the Blues have, you have to take advantage and you have to strike while the iron's hot. And that's why I think you have to look for somebody who can play. 23, 24 minutes a night and add to that top four group. If they go out and add a guy who's a top four defenseman, I don't. I think I would put this Blues team on the same level as the Colorado Avalanche and the Florida Panthers. I think they're a Stanley Cup favorite just as much as those other teams are. It's just a matter of who you can pull off. There's no salary cap space right now for the Blues, so it's kind of dollar in and dollar out. Or you're having some other team decide to eat some of those contracts or some of that money um, you know, you could go through him here. Like Jacob Chikrin, I'd love Jacob Chikrin. I think he would make sense. Or I don't know if Doug Armstrong is going to be willing to pay that price. And let's also remember, Arizona is in the Central Division. Mm-hmm. Uh, how It's pretty rare that you see Central Division or the same division making trades at a trade deadline. So I, I still have some skepticism there with Jacob Chikrin. I think he'd be a great addition. I also don't know if he matches what they're looking for with Colton Pareko in terms of a stay-at-home defenseman. Um, ben Sherratt. I'm kind of iffy with Ben Sherratt. I think the Ben Sherratt this season, his advanced analytics are a guy who takes a lot of penalties and has a lot of defensive zone turnovers. But he also isn't playing with his pairing partner in Shea Weber, who played together last season and took them all the way up to the Stanley Cup final and essentially lost in game six against Tampa. So I think there's a match there. I th- I just think you'd be gambling if you win after Ben Sherratt, because is he this year's Ben Sherratt or is he last year's Ben Sherratt with Colton Pareko? Um, the guy for me that I think makes the most sense, and I don't know how you pull this off, is Mark Giordano. I think going for Mark Giordano from the Seattle Kraken means you're going after a guy who notoriously has been a number one defenseman on the left side, played for Calgary. Does this remind you of anybody that we've talked about in the past? Jay Bomeister? Um I mean, he's three, four years removed from winning the Norris Trophy. I know he's 38 years old, but he's used to playing 23, 24 minutes a night. And I think for a guy like Mark Giordano, who's an unrestricted free agent, who this might be his last hurrah at winning a Stanley Cup, I think if you can acquire that guy, you're adding a a veteran who knows how to just mesh well into a locker room midseason, and he's going to be a guy who can help Colton Pareko play on the ice. So, um, he does make 6.5 mil, I think, this season. Um, there is the prorated salary that you can talk about, which, uh, of course, minimizes it a little bit more. But you're going to have to have Seattle probably eat half of that contract, which means you're probably giving up a first-round draft pick and more. So I guess it just depends on how much people are willing to give up. Um, if you're not going to go after one of those guys, I think the Blues could add a Zidane Chara or a Justin Braun. And I think those can be depth pieces. And I think this team would be in just as good a position as they would if they were able to acquire one of those top guys. Yeah, Big Z was one of the guys that we talked about last week about being an intriguing option to come in and, and be that another veteran presence that could help solidify some things. And yeah, I've been I've been big on the Giordano thing. I, I think he was a guy 
that uh, the Blues definitely should have looked at uh, in in the past. And he, you're right, he's a former flame, he, a former flame that would come in and pair up with Pareko and really just make him that much better. And we've seen Pareko as of late kind of up the game just a little bit. Uh, we saw that goal he scored the other night out of midair. That, that, that feistiness is, is something that we've been trying to pull out of him for so long, and it seems like it might be uh, what's coming out now. But you talk about having to give up more for a guy like Giordano, and we know about the Vladimir Tarasenko trade uh, speculation in the offseason. We've seen what he's done this year. I don't think this team, this Blues team, is looking to get rid of, of Vladdy at all. Uh, but is he one of those guys that a team like Seattle would eventually maybe cycle back and look at and say, hey, we'll take him on for Giordano, or is there another younger player that they would look at as, as part of a trade for that? I don't think they would look at Vladimir Tarasenko because they could have had him for free at the expansion draft and they didn't decide to take him, which I'm I'm sure they're kicking themselves right now about. But, um, you know, obviously they probably wanted to know what he was and if he was healthy. But I don't don't see the Blues trading Vladimir Tarasenko this season. And, I mean, I don't know why they would when you got a guy who's third most in your points and he's played so well for you. And, I mean, that's taking a massive – like take like take out of Vladimir Tarasenko and add a Mark Giordano, and I don't think your team's better than what it was prior to that move. So um, I don't think Seattle would do that. You know, I I think Seattle right now realizes that they're not going to be they're not the Vegas Golden Knights. They're not going to be contending for a Stanley Cup next season. I think it's going to be a slow progression in terms of competition. So I think Seattle is going to want draft picks, and I think Seattle's going to want probably a younger player who's ready to contribute. Um, I know a lot of people would say, well, trade Scott Perunovich. I don't think they want Scott Perunovich. I think they got a Scott Perunovich and Vince Dunn, at least in their minds. They got a lot of good defensemen that play for them. I think they'd be looking more on the forward position. So, you know, I would probably say you're, you're they're, they're probably the first words out of their mouth is going to be a Jake Neighbors, um, an Ivan Barbashev, an Oscar Sundquist, depending on what his health is. And frankly, again, I don't know if that's worth it for the Blues to trade away because I think you're taking a, a bigger blow on the chemistry of the team at this point of the season than you would be upgrading their talent by trading one of those guys away from Mark Giordano. So I think the only way Mark Giordano happens is if Seattle's willing to just take on um, draft picks and maybe a lesser prospect than some of those top three that everyone seems to talk about. Yeah, we had Jake Neighbors on our show Oh, during the during the pandemic back in 2020. Great kid. Yeah. He looks like he's going to be something special. Uh, another guy that actually got a little chance to show himself here in St. Louis this year and somebody I've been really, really high on since I saw him at prospect camp a few years ago is Alexei Torpchenko. Uh, he, he's a guy that you have to look at as being someone that can fill a role here coming up in the next couple of years. What did you see out of Torpchenko earlier this year that kind of maybe should excite Blues fans going forward? I like him. Uh, he's big, he's he's fast, and he, he's got some offense to him. Um, he played his role to a T when he was up for the Blues on the fourth line role. I mean, he was a guy that went in front of the net, parked himself, went for the deflection, used his body, but he had a little nastiness to him. So I think Torpchenko is going to be a, a perfect role player for this Blues team. I think the Blues mindset, at least coming into this season, was you just get him more reps in the minor leagues and let him just be a consistent professional hockey player because – he played in the KHL last year, which is great. But I mean, you're really only looking at I think two full seasons of Alexei Toropchenko as an NA or as a pro hockey player in North America. So, um, so for a Toropchenko, I think you're probably looking at you know maybe a couple of years away before he's a part of this team. But again, I like them because he's got speed, which matches well for this team. He's got size, which is something they absolutely need. 
And he's got some nastiness too, which I think matches Craig Berube's team. It certainly does, and this team has definitely taken on that Baruby identity. All right, we have to talk, and, and this is going to be a contentious point, I think, for a lot of people. we got to talk about the goaltending situation. Uh, I mean, obviously, Villa Husso has done an admirable job, really kind of rising to the occasion. Uh, Jordan Bennington has, has looked great the last couple of games, especially you know coming off that win in Philadelphia. He's got the shutout against Chicago. Uh, you know, this team has been a team that has always needed to have that kind of 1A, 1B type of goaltending situation with each one of them pushing the other ones to be at their best. We saw with Jake Allen and Brian Elliott and Carter Hutton, all of those, I mean, even back to Yaroslav Halak as well. And we saw how when Allen didn't have that, that push behind him, that he kind of suffered a little bit, obviously back in 2019. Are you seeing the same sort of tandem now between these two guys that they can both play at a high level and they're going to push off of each other to be the best that they can be? And if that's the case, who do you go with if the playoffs were to start, you know, next week? Yeah, I think they absolutely can work off of each other. And I mean, I know a lot of people have called it a goalie controversy and I don't think there's ever been a controversy. I think it's just a matter of, you know, one guy started the season as the number one guy in Jordan Bennington. Kutso was the backup. Bennington went through a struggle, which, I mean, you know, I know a lot of people focused in on just St. Louis and, oh, well, Jake Allen had this happen to him. What if you got another Jake Allen? Every goaltender is going to have this happen to him at some point. I mean, unless you're Andre Vasilevsky, you're going to have highs and you're going to have lows. I mean, look at Jacob Markstrom. Jacob Markstrom last season was not a great goaltender for Calgary. Part of the reason why they didn't advance far in the postseason play and then this year, he's in the Vezina conversation. So, like, you're going to have hot and cold moments. I think Bennington just went through this. So, um, I, I've always stuck on the side of Jordan Bennington is a good goaltender and pump the brakes on Jordan Bennington not being a good goaltender. It's just a matter of getting back to what is, has gotten him where it has. And I think we're seeing in the last couple of games. And I think he's going to continue to progress in that direction. The question that you asked of who you go to in the playoffs, I don't think Craig Berube knows that right now. I think... If you were to ask me, I'd tell Jordan Bennington's going to be the guy in the playoffs because Jordan Bennington is the guy that got you to the playoffs and won the playoffs for you a few years ago. And if he stumbles in the playoffs, well, then Billy Huso's right there to take over. You know he's going to be just as motivated as Bennington would be. But I honestly believe that the Blues look at it as, well, that'll decide itself because I think it's going to be a 50-50 split from here until the end of the regular season. And whoever it starts to struggle... Well, then the guy that's playing well is going to get more ice time, just like Billy Huso did over Jordan Bennington. So if Huso struggles, Bennington's going to get more ice time. If Bennington struggles, Huso's going to get more ice time. And then come playoff time, whenever that first game is, I would imagine they're going to ride the hot hand. And I understand the old school mentality is you got to have one goaltender in the playoffs, but the Pittsburgh Penguins would say otherwise when they use multiple guys to win the Stanley Cup. And I think that's what the Blues could possibly do if they get to that point. But I also think that if one guy's playing well, he's going to ride him regardless if it's a unrestricted free agent or a guy who's locked up for six years. And it's a great problem to have when you have to choose between two hot goaltenders versus going in right. with just one. And, and we've seen it so much in, in the league over the last couple of years that the, the teams that have just a clear cut number one have diminished. I mean, it's not the, the days of Brodeur and Wah and Cujo and things like that. You're going to have a lot of teams that have the two goalie system and they're just going to ride that hot hand. That, that's 100% accurate. Uh, speaking of the playoffs, and I said this a couple of weeks ago when the Blues were playing Calgary, that that is a team I do not want to see in the playoffs. They are a dangerous team. They are a fast team. 
if they can get the goaltending and defensive play that they have at different points this year, they're a team I do not want to play. Is that kind of where your mindset is as well? Is there another team? I mean, Colorado is obviously going to be there as well. But outside of that, are there any other teams that you kind of worried about the Blues matching up with in the playoffs? Uh, I'm not as concerned about Calgary um, because I think the Blues just had a bad night in Calgary when they lost that game. And then they came back to St. Louis. And, I mean, they wiped the floor with Calgary in that game. Um, although I was a little surprised that they went right back to Jacob Markstrom after he played the night prior. But uh, Calgary's a team that they're going to be difficult to match up against. They got the physical play with Milan Lucic and Matthew Kachuk and a couple of other guys. And, of course, they added Tyler Toffoli. But Jacob Markstrom, to me, is a guy that he's hot and he's cold, and he hasn't done it in the playoffs. And I think that I know that he was a part of the Vancouver Canucks team that beat the Blues, and he robbed and stole the show. But I also think that was a different scenario in a bubble play than what it would be in front of a sold-out crowd for the playoffs. So Calgary doesn't concern me. I think the team that concerns me is Colorado. I think if you could avoid Colorado, it would benefit you, uh, mostly because the bad juju from the playoffs last year. I just don't know if you want to go in to a series with a team in the first round that you did last year where you know that you were swept against them. But I also think that the Blues could beat Colorado in a seven-game series, unlike what they could last year. A lot of it decides on uh, what their goaltending does. But if there's one team that I'd want to play, it's the position the Blues are in right now. Second place in their own division, home ice in the first round against Minnesota. The Blues have dominated Minnesota over the last three years. In fact, I don't think they've lost a regulation game to Minnesota in their last three seasons, if that goes to show you how good they've been. Um, so if there was one path that I would hope for, it would be a first-round matchup against the Minnesota Wild. But as we saw when this team won the Stanley Cup, if you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you're going to have to play all of the good teams. So why not take the good team on? It would benefit the Blues to take on Calgary or Colorado in the first round because if you beat them, I think you're going to have all the momentum moving for the rest of the postseason. Yeah, you don't want to see a team that does get rolling, like a Colorado or a Calgary. If they get that, that confidence level, they, they get the flow, you don't want to see them later on if you can get them in that first round. So, yeah, it, it's going to be a really, really interesting stretch uh, as we get into March and then into April as well. Um, what else have you been seeing with this team this year that, that you're psyched about that maybe has gone under the radar for, for fans? Well, a couple of things. One, I think people need to recognize how good Craig Berube is with the younger players and what he's accomplished. And that's why I'm glad that they locked him up for his uh, contract extension. And I say this knowing that a lot of Blues fans are, are so intelligent and they've seen this. But, I mean, think of the progression that Craig Berube has had with these younger players in terms of Ivan Barbashev, Jordan Cairo. Robert Thomas right now is playing the same level that Ryan O'Reilly was playing when they acquired him in that Stanley Cup run. The only difference is O'Reilly was scoring more goals. Robert Thomas has got more assists in this situation. So, uh, But he's playing against the top lines, and he's shutting them down. He's getting a lot of ice time on the penalty kill. So um, what Craig Ruby's accomplished with this team in terms of youth, should excite people in terms of what the next three years look like because you got a lot of these core players under control, which means the Stanley Cup window is wide open uh, longer than that five-year window that Doug Armstrong had talked about four years ago. Um, other thing is Colton Pareko. I know a lot of people have been down on him, uh, but I would advise people to keep an eye on what Colton Pareko does the rest of the season because he's playing like a number one defenseman right now. Uh, I think since the return of this team in the All-Star break, he has the best plus-minus rating of any defenseman in the National Hockey League. So I don't know how people like plus-minus. Some people hate it. Some people love it. 
But Pareko's got good numbers in that circumstance. And then the other one, special teams. I think the 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 secret weapon this Blues team could have in a Stanley Cup run is having both sides of their special teams playing at an elite level. Uh, you got the second best power play right now, the fourth best penalty kill. If you can carry that into a playoff series, we all remember the Blues penalty kill was awesome when they won the Stanley Cup. Their power play was awful. But if you have a power play playing as well as it could, and it is, on top of your five-on-five play and your penalty kill, that's a weapon most teams I don't think want to mess with. Yeah, I would not want to either. And I, I believe going into that Chicago game, Pareko was a plus 12 in that uh, in that stretch, which is amazing. And yeah, yeah, plus minus is one of those categories that you can either drop or, or take with you to the bank. Uh, and the one thing, going back to Barube real quick, is you look at the, the, the struggle that Jordan Cairo had a couple of games ago, the, the three drop passes that go the other way. The next day at practice, he takes him aside has that one-on-one conversation, and then he busts out for two goals and an assist in the next game. That's something that he has been done that most people don't see. He's done it with multiple players in his time here. The one-on-one conversations to kind of build that confidence up and say, hey, look, just keep doing what you're doing, and it's what got you here, and you keep doing that, you're going to be fine. And that's amazing what what Craig Berube has been able to do here. So uh, one final thing before we get out of here tonight, because I I know you got everything going on tomorrow with (laughs) BK and Ferrario. I'm in the process of buying my very first suit, and you have a great suit game. If you had one tip when it came to purchasing a good suit, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. That's a question that I was not expecting. Damn. <laughs> um, boy, I think the the way I, I have a pet peeve when it comes to my suits and my dress shirts, and I don't like them being puffy around the waist. So my advice, if you want a really slick looking suit, have it slim fit because then you're not going to have to worry about the, the, the collared shirt puffing out of the sides and sticking out looking like it doesn't fit you. You know, you're not going to be looking like you're wearing your dad's suit that was found in the back of the closet. You get a slim fit suit. It looks like it. It looks like you've got yourself a tailor. And if there's one thing that I know the. Uh, the good taste suit people have is a tailor. I don't have one. I buy them from like Macy's or Suits for Men in the mall. But when they're slim fit, they always seem to, to look really slick on that individual. So that would be my advice. Make sure you get a slim fit suit because uh, you can't go wrong there. And I think you'll have a lot of people talking about you. I, I'll take it because, uh, you know, you're a Lindenwood graduate. I'm wrapping up my time at Lindenwood. We're going D1. Got to start looking good if you're going to be calling games at a, at a D1 school going That's right. forward. That's right. Uh, well, Alex, uh, I appreciate you taking the time out today to, to talk about the, the Blues and, and everything that goes along with it. Uh, most people that are watching know where to find you, but where can people find you uh, out there in social media and, and out on the radio on 101? Yeah, 11 to 2, Monday through Friday on 101 ESPN uh, with my buddy BK and Tanner Hendrickson, uh, BK and Ferrario. And then, of course, for Blues games, I'm on 101 ESPN an hour before uh, the puck drop. And then, of course, we got post game as well. And on social media is at Ferrario 101 ESPN. And uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, those are probably the only three that I do. I haven't gotten into TikTok yet. And I got to be honest with it, with a newborn, and a baby on the way, I probably won't be getting into TikTok. So it's just going to be Twitter and Instagram for me. Nothing wrong with that. You can go down a, a pretty bad rabbit hole when it comes to TikTok from what I've experienced. So uh, the Amen. more you can stay away, the better. <laughs> it's easier that way. It is. It is. Well, thank you again, Alex, for joining us. And I uh, look forward to talking with you uh, in the near future. Definitely. You guys do great stuff here. So uh, happy to come on anytime you need me. Let me know.
Sounds good. We appreciate it. Alex Ferrario, 101 ESPN, joined us to talk about the Blues and the fact that they are streaking right now. Uh, appreciate him taking the time out uh, on, on a night with, like he said, a newborn and another one on the way uh, to be able to take some time out to talk about Blues hockey on his off time is, is an incredible gesture for sure. Uh, Blues are in New York tomorrow night to face the Rangers. Pavel Buchnevich going home to see the Rangers. Then they play the Islanders and Devils early games on Saturday and Sunday. So make sure you check those out and uh, listen to Ferrario on the pregame an hour before every game on 101 ESPN. That's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, yes, the MLB lockouts kind of brought people down, but the Blues are streaking. We are glad to see that. Uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in, joining in. Uh, it's been an absolute blast. And uh, we will see you guys uh, sometime here in the near future. Uh, we got a couple of things coming up as well. Next week, we have uh, another interview lined up that we'll let out of the bag here as soon as we get some confirmation. But uh, it should be a, a very, very fun one and uh, a knowledgeable one as well. Historical, to say the least. So keep an eye out for the announcement for that. And uh, Scott will be back with us uh, as soon as he is able as well. So make sure you keep an eye out for when we're coming back for more Toasted Tavern. For Scott, for Alex Ferrario for joining us. Appreciate that again. I am Wags. Have a great rest of your night. And uh, we will see you guys very, very soon. Hey, it's you, man, here from Casey. For all your sports news, catch the Toasted Tavern with Scott Tobin and the man called Wags weeknights at 9 p.m. You can follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's get toasted.